Ah, very cool. All right. So the first question is, what can only exist where there is light but dies in the light? <laughs> Good thought, but no. Shadows. There we go. Yeah. Shadows can only exist where there is light, but they die in the light. How about another one? What lives with food but dies with water? Fire. There we go. And so you sort of know what types of questions these are. The, what would we call these types of questions? Riddles. Can't mention riddles without mentioning one of the greatest authors ever, uh, Tolkien, and his work, The Hobbit. I'm going to go ahead and ask one of the riddles from The Hobbit. I forget if it's Gollum or, um, or Bilbo that asks this, but the riddle is voiceless it cries, wingless it flutters, toothless bites, mouthless mutters. Yep. Wind. You didn't raise your hand, Aaron. Disqualified. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so in this scene in The Hobbit, uh, Bilbo is stuck in this cave with Gollum. Um, at this time, he has stumbled across what seems to be a normal golden ring that he's put into his pocket. He just wants to leave this cave and comes across Gollum, and Gollum doesn't want to let him leave. They get into a battle of wits, and they're just challenging each other with these different riddles. And uh, if Bilbo can ask a riddle that Gollum can't answer, he gets to leave. Um, at one point in time, Bilbo is reaching into his pockets while thinking, and he accidentally says out loud, what have I got in my pocket? Which Gollum takes as a riddle, and can't answer. Um, not really a riddle, but Bilbo sticks by it. Gollum doesn't know. Bilbo gets to, gets to leave. Uh, so in this scene, Bilbo's ability to answer riddles and ask riddles determines whether or not he gets to escape this cave. Um, a little bit about the, uh, the characteristic of riddles. They're questions, but they're not normal questions. They're questions that seem paradoxical, meaning it doesn't sound like there should actually be an answer. They seem to contradict themselves in nature. Um, but they really don't. They have a logical answer. We come across different, what we might call riddles in scripture. Um, it's a question that seems like it's going to be hard to answer. It's going to seem like there may not be an answer, but there really is. And we're going to answer one of those riddles tonight. Or not tonight. Wow, it's like 11. Um, <laughs> awkward. Um, go ahead and turn to Psalm 24. That's where we're going to find... Um, the basis for today's riddle. So the first three verses of Psalm 24 are this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. 
Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? So there we have questions, two questions. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord, and who can stand in his holy place? Who can stand with him? Um, doesn't seem that much like a riddle, but the answer to that question is sort of problematic, at least for us. Verse 4 says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Uh, that leaves us in a difficult position. Um, just hearing what uh, Aaron talked to us about a few minutes ago, we know that really none of us has clean hands and none of us has a pure heart. So we're kind of stuck. So our riddle is this. How can unholy people dwell with a holy God? And the reverse is also the same question. How can a holy God dwell with unholy people? Our ability to answer this is incredibly important. It will determine how we spend our lives here on earth. It will determine how we spend our lives eternally. It will determine our opinion of, of God. So it's, it's an important riddle. Sounds paradoxical, but there is a logical answer. So today, first, we're going to look and analyze the riddle and see the different parts of it. And then we're going to look at two of the common incorrect answers to the riddle. And then finally, we'll see the correct answer that Paul gives uh, in the book of Romans. And we'll then apply it. So first, when, when looking at any riddle or any question, really, questions have assumptions that are built into them. They have different parts. So our question is, how can a holy God dwell with unholy people? There are three main assumptions that we're making in just asking that question. <laughs> the first assumption that we're making is that God is holy. And we know that to be true based on everything that Sam talked to us about yesterday. God is set apart from us. Uh, all of his characteristics are perfect. He is the only uncreated being. He is the only morally excellent um, being. In all ways, he is different and better and good. Um, the second assumption that is made in the riddle is that we are unholy. That assumption can be backed up by everything that Aaron spoke to us about this morning. Um, we have fallen. We have broken God's law. We are by nature sinful and not holy. Um, and I'll have more sections to back that up in Romans once we get there. The third assumption is that it's not normal for um, holiness and unholiness to mix. Um, and for that, I have a verse that we'll, I'll probably come back to later. Uh, I'll go ahead and just read it. It's in the book of Habakkuk, um, and it's 13, 
or 113, and Habakkuk is describing God. He says, you who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So how are we able to dwell with a God who can't even look at evil when we are by nature evil? So those are the assumptions made. And the question, um, or the riddle, that don't leave us right now at a very encouraging spot. Um, But we will get to the encouraging part soon enough. Um, Next, I want to look at a couple of the common incorrect solutions to this riddle. Go ahead and now turn to Romans uh, chapter 2. So I have, I have a friend who uh, lives in Lynchburg right now. Some of you may know him. Um, he used to go to Grace and then was a missionary kid to Mexico for a while. Um, he was driving around Lynchburg and was speeding and got pulled over and was given a ticket. And he went to the court to pay his fine, and the judge told him that he could... Um, he could repay his fine through community service. He was given the option of, I think it was 50 hours of community service, and he ended up working out of goodwill uh, instead of paying his fine. And so that is one way that we think we can make ourselves good enough to stand in God's presence. We know that we have done evil. We think that maybe maybe we can do good enough so that it overcomes our evil. We think we can do the community service to make up for our speeding ticket. And that's a common way of thinking. It's a regular way of thinking throughout all of life. I'm pretty sure Grace uses the, uh, the work crews still. Do they? Do they still do that? Yeah? Yes. So you, you disrespect a teacher or a tardy or something... And you make up for that by helping grace in practical ways. Do, do something helpful to make up for the harm that you've done. Uh, Paul speaks to this um, somewhat, actually a decent amount, in Romans chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? So we are are thinking we are good enough and have done good enough because we've followed the law, but we have actually broken the law just the same as everyone else. Uh, Paul continues to speak on this in verses 17 through 24. Um, He says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. 
You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So we, we think that we've done good. We think that we have the law and we know how to follow it and we try to follow it to make up for everything. And we set ourselves as an example. But we're really not. We've broken the law just the same as everyone else and are in the same boat, which is sinking. Um, so that's the first incorrect solution, something that won't work out for us as trying to do good to make up for the wrong that we've done. There's no good that you can do to make up for what, for what we've done and who we are. The second incorrect solution um, would be, let's see, yeah, the second incorrect solution would be to assume that's, that God's love will cause him to ignore all sin. That because he, of all of his attributes of holiness, his mercy, his grace, his love, because he has those, he can just choose to accept us for, with everything that we've done. He can choose to just ignore the fact that we've, we've sinned against him. Um, Paul speaks to this also uh, back in chapter 2. Um, Right after um, the first three verses that I already read, um, talking about uh, them having no excuse, says, do you, uh, starting 2, verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on, um, on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we can, we can think that God's love will lead him to just ignore everything that we've done without us having to do anything for that. We can keep sinning. We can, <clears throat> we can keep doing whatever we want because God wouldn't, God wouldn't punish us. Um, he's too loving for that. Uh, another area where Paul um, approaches this is in chapter 6 where it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. Uh, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptized into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So do we keep sinning so that God's love shows more to us? And just, just trust that we can do whatever we want because God will overlook our sin in the end without any, any choice from us. Paul is obviously saying that that is not the case. Um, yes, God is love, and that is a part of his holiness. Um, but he still can't be in the presence of sin. We know that from Habakkuk still. He can't look at sin. Um, so knowing that those are two of the probably many, many incorrect solutions to our riddle, what is the correct answer? Well, we know that we need to be, we need to be seen as people who have kept the law. We need to be seen as perfect while we're still imperfect. We know that it has to be through some action that we didn't initiate. We know that it's nothing that we started that can cause us to dwell before God. Um, The answer to this riddle is found throughout Scripture, um, but the place where I find it incredibly clear is going to be at the end of Romans chapter 3. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 20, 21 and read straight through to the end, to verse 31, and then we'll go back and analyze it and look at the different parts of it. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness that at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is, exclu- it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, also the Gentiles. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So that's a decently long section, and Paul doesn't like ending sentences, uh, so some of them get confusing. Let's start at the beginning of that section. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We see God's holiness through the law. Because God gave us the law, we know that he has already accomplished that. 
that's his creation, um, he is already perfect, and we know that. But now his perfection, his holiness has been manifested or made visible to us in a different way apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So it's been, it's been hinted at before. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God and the law. He was perfect in every way, is perfect in every way that God is, the law is, because he is God. Uh, and then moving on from there. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. A lot of us will memorize that section, not realizing that it's just the beginning of a sentence. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, sentence still hasn't ended, but we'll go ahead and... Um, look at that. So all of us have sinned. We know that. We've heard that from, um, from Aaron and throughout a lot of this. Um, and are justified or made right with God by his grace as a gift. So it is still only by God's initiation that we are able to approach him or dwell with him. It's nothing that we can start on our own. Um, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, redemption, redemption is buying or buying something back for a price. Um, it isn't free. Uh, I work at World Market and people will earn these rewards and they'll redeem these rewards and it seems like it's free to them when they like show up with a $10 coupon. They're like, I get this for free. I'm like, no, you actually paid $200 first to do that. Um, something has to be paid first in order to, in order to redeem something. And in this case, the redemption is Christ Jesus. Um, whom God whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is uh, an appeasement of God's wrath. We know that God's wrath is on us. And propitiation is what is put forward to, uh, to turn that wrath away from us. So he is the payment for our redemption. He is also the propitiation to take God's wrath away from us. Uh, and continuing uh, by his blood to be received by faith. So we receive this through faith. We have to understand how incredible a gift this is. And by faith, we accept it. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. His divine forbearance is his incredible patience, how he hasn't destroyed mankind for thousands of years, despite the fact that none of us 
are good. Um, we all fall incredibly short. Um, and we all dishonor him through our everyday lives. And he's put up with it since he created us. Um, in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. He, just and justifier, is a really cool, incredible phrase. Uh, he, he's just, meaning he can't let sin go. He can't just overlook it um, and pretend that it didn't happen. He had to do something about it for us to be able to dwell with him. And so he's just and the justifier because it was his actions that made it possible for us to dwell with him. He plays every part in allowing us to dwell with him. It's nothing that we did. So that is the gospel. That is the good news. There's nothing that we've done, no action that we've initiated that allows us to come before God. It is everything that he's done for us. It was Christ who was manifestation of God, who was holiness in every way that God is because he was God, who was put forth as the redemption price for us, who's the propitiation to appease God's wrath and take it off of us and was the only way to justify us so that we could come and dwell with him. In responding to this, um, what does it mean for us? Well, it's going to affect how we live and think, if this is what we believe. Um, this should first reinforce everything that we've heard about God up to this point. It should reinforce our knowledge of his holiness, his love, is still as great as we, as we know it to be because of what he's paid for us. Um, he is still completely just because he must punish sin. He is still morally excellent and all-powerful. This, um, this just defends every part of God's holiness. Um, and so now we have to decide what we will do. If we will accept this gift through faith um, and follow him and what that looks like. Now, if we do accept uh, God's incredible gift through faith, um, we can look down at the next paragraph starting in verse 27 and how... That plays out in our life. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. So we have no reason to be proud of ourselves. 
There's nothing we've done for this. It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by a law of faith. We have faith in God and not in anything that we've done. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles. There is no people that is... There are no people who are not able to accept this gift. Um, In the Old Testament, the Jews were God's people, and he worked through them throughout history to bring about this salvation. But there is no people on earth who are not capable of accepting God's gift. Um, And then... But now that we've accepted God's gift, are we able to continue in sin knowing that he's paid for everything? The final verse of chapter 3 speaks against that. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So the the law remains and we uphold the law because we are still... um, We have faith in God that he has overcome all of our imperfections. But we still desire to make him glad and to follow him and to be more like him. And if the law is a reflection of God's perfection, we want that. So we continue in that all the more now that we have faith in him. Um, So... That's our answer to the riddle. How can an unholy people dwell with a holy God? Not by anything that we've done. Not by any action we could initiate. But only through what God has done for us. Through the gift, the redemption that he's given and the propitiation. And now that we know that, we grow closer to him through listening to him and through following him and desiring to be with him and like him. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for this weekend. Um, I thank you for the time that you've given us, the few days that we have to focus um, wholly on you. I pray that even after this weekend, we would continue to point our lives towards you. I thank you for this incredible gift that you've given us um, for making salvation possible through faith um, by not making us responsible for, for the crimes that we've committed um, against you or making it possible for us to put those on you. Um, I pray you make yourself visible to everybody here today and draw us even closer to you. Um, Thank you for what you've given to us that we don't deserve. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Oh. 